0: restaurant Unstoppable, episode 425 follow your dreams i'd say just go for it there's no reason why you should be
1: doing something that makes you unhappy do something you're passionate about do something you love follow your dream life is too short not to just do it
0: are you ready for it factors success stories failures in bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to GetBento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurants Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gustocom slash unstoppable hey Joe you ready for this I'm unstoppable my friend <laughs> with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest Joe Fontana my man Joe you know what's coming dude are you feeling unstoppable today
1: Eric, when I tell you that I believe in myself so much in what we're doing, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that can stop me. I am 100% unstoppable.
0: Yes, that is what we like to hear. So a product of Chicago, Illinois, Joe Fontana gave up his Cush office lifestyle to pursue his passion for food. At the time, that specific passion was meatballs. So he started where he could, selling meatball, meatballs at a farmer's market, which led to a Kickstarter campaign pain to support his brick and mortar uh, the meatball thing didn't work out but it created other opportunities specifically the opportunity for fry the coop today joe is two months in and crushing it and i can't wait to get your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or a mantra take it away joe woo woo. <laughs>
1: well one that i've lived by um since i started this journey is and you know this one it is Small daily improvements eventually lead to huge advancements.
0: Yes. Small daily improvements lead to huge advancements. Talk to me about how that resonates with you. Why is that the, the, the quote of choice?
1: So, um, there's three, three things that, that kind of triggers with me and they're all, they're all kind of intertwined. But, um, when I started this journey, I decided I wanted to open up a restaurant with literally four dollars in my bank account and we were living paycheck to paycheck um and i just kind of thought like how am i going to open up a restaurant you know like this is what i want to do i knew it i knew the direction i wanted to go but i just thought okay i need to write a business plan well how do i write a business plan and to me that quote when i heard it was like okay i can just chip away at this i would write one page a day you know and then Eventually after I just kept small daily improvements, I ended up with this like amazing forty page business plan that yes. was like you know, one of the best. And then now that I'm actually a restaurant owner, uh, you know, I still believe in that quote because you know, you can if you wanna like say you I wanted to build a patio, right? I don't need this amazing patio right now. One day I can, you know, lay the foundation and then one day we can buy tables and then one day we can put umbrellas and then one day we can get, you know, plants and, you know, lights, And then, you know, if I just slowly improve on that patio, you know, maybe it's not this summer, maybe it's not next summer, but in three summers for now, I'm going to have this amazing patio for me. So, and then the third part of that quote for me is, um, it's almost like never get complacent, you know, because um, I feel like if you're always improving on what you do, and always making small improvements, you're never going to get complacent. You're always going to be upgrading and making yourself better. So small daily improvements eventually <laughs> A huge well,
0: thank you for sharing the three levels, uh, or the three parts <laughs> of that, uh, quote and how it resonates with you. I want to add a fourth level. Uh, yeah. what I was thinking while you were going, while I was listening to you, is uh, just the importance of starting, right? And that's part of that small daily improvements is just that that first improvement is to start, right? Just, to, and that's oh. the hardest part is just starting. But if you start and you build that momentum, Every day, if you do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit, you work to just to work on one other project, you're going to build momentum and you're just going to grow and it's going to grow. And before long, the universe is just going to start to provide opportunities to you and provide the resources you need to get to that next level. Um, and Joe and I aren't strangers. Um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to get Joe on the show is we've been friends now for what, three years, Joe? Was it about yeah, three years yeah. ago you first reached out to me? Um, yep. And we look at successful people and all we see sometimes is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, We only... See, like where they are now. We think to ourselves, "Oh man, like that must be nice. Like it just happened for them." But the truth is, there's so much hard work, and commitment, and dedication, and sacrifice that goes into just even getting started. And that's why I wanted to get you on the show, Joe, because uh, you've been helping me out with Restaurant Unstoppable, making suggestions, writing to me, and I've got I've got this look at and witness your progress over these past three years, man. And I just, you are unstoppable, dude. You are the essence of uh, what it takes to make it in this industry. And I just feel like you need to be made an example of. So I'm pumped for this, dude.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. And I am super honored to be on Restaurant Unstoppable. I've listened to every single episode, oh, some of them twice. <laughs> I uh, started when you were, I think you were on episode 40. Oh, and man, I
0: went back and listened to all of them. And then, uh, I've been current ever since. Well, let me apologize for those early episodes. I've come a long <laughs> way. Uh, but let's start with where it all started for you. So what got you into this hospitality industry?
1: Well, <clears throat> I started valeting when I was, uh, 16 and, uh, it was actually, um, a happy mistake. Just somebody was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, work, you know, valet job? You make cash. And I was like, awesome. So somebody at school hooked me up and got me a job. Um, But the company was really cool because they had like hundreds of accounts around Chicago. So what was actually um, awesome about that was that like I got to go see all these different venues and they would always switch us around. So you'd go, you know, ballet at this bar, then this restaurant, then this movie theater, then you do this event. Um, And then sometimes you'd be at an account for like, you know, two months, six months, whatever the case was. But I was with them for um, from 16 to 21. And, um, it was, it was just awesome seeing like restaurants and bars, like from the outside, mm. you know, I was always outside the door looking in the window. Yeah. Seeing everybody, like, Slowly yeah,
0: falling that. in love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, it was a really cool experience. And that kind of, um, got me, I think, and now thinking back, looking at it, you know, I just, I think that's what got me like interested in seeing everybody, you know, having fun and loving life and enjoying each other's company and laughing. And, um, to me, that was like, okay, you know, now that I look back, I'm like, I want to be a part of that.
0: Nice. Um, so you eventually got away from it. Uh, you, did you, was it human resources or marketing?
1: Well, so then what really brought me into the industry, like inside the doors was, um, I started bartending and okay. and that, that happened when, my friend calls me up and he's like, hey, this when I was 21, he calls me up and he's like, hey, do you want to come do the door at our bar? We, uh, we, need, we need a door guy. A door guy called in. and I go, all right, well, what do I do? He's like, "Ah, oh, you just check IDs and make 120 bucks a day. I was
0: like, really? That's all I
1: got to do is check IDs? Deal. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, sign me up. I walk in <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, by the way, before you start checking IDs, can you uh, bring up 50 cases of beer? Downstairs, can you take out all the garbage? Gotcha. wipe down <laughs> all the tables. And I'm like, uh, okay. And the next thing you know, I'm like dripping sweat Sorry. two hours later. <laughs> and they're like, okay, now go check IDs to the door. Um, so that that got me in inside the restaurant. And then from there, I worked my way up from you know door guy to uh, bar back to server to bartender. And then um, I was also like bartender slash manager for um, eight years that lasted.
0: So. Um, for- at this point, um, were you in love with the industry? Where did you see yourself working in it for your life, or what got you out of it?
1: Well, no. So, I, so I loved my job. It was literally like the best thing in the world. And one of the things that um, you don't, re, you know, sometimes you don't realize and stuff until you're a little older. And you kind of like look back. Um, but I loved just taking care of people and the whole hospitality aspect of being behind the bar. And, like, literally, I used to hear this all the time. People would come in and they would say, um, I come here because of you. Oh, like, awesome. you're the reason I come to this bar. And um, we had tons of, you know, it was like cheers. You know, you walk in, everybody knows your name. Um, but it was just, to me, like, that that caring for people. And, you know, like, I would see somebody come in, and I knew what they drank before they even took a foot in the door. Right. I mean, I'd see them coming in, and I'd go grab their beer, and I'd have the coaster down, and their beer waiting for them. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? Come on in, you know. Welcome. Um, so, um, yeah, I loved, I loved that it was the best chat. Yeah,
0: had. that's, that's huge. I mean, that, that kind of falls into the, one of those high or Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I think it's like the third tier up of that, that feeling of, uh, belonging and having a place. And uh, in, in today's society, it's not enough to uh, just meet the most basic needs of people because those things are so easily attainable. You really got to start focusing on making those people feel like they're welcome, like they're loved. And if you can make people feel like that, man, it's so powerful. And it's what we should be doing. Not only is it good for your business, but it's what we should be doing. Uh, so I'm happy you went there. Um, so uh So you said eight years uh, managing and working in restaurants from the time you were 21. So you're 29 years old. Um, What got you out? Why? Why did you leave?
1: Uh, So my mom basically she was like, "Hey, you know, what are you going to do? Bartend for the rest of your life? Like, you need to get a real job." Uh, You know, and I I was like, "I was like, I don't want to get a real job, mom. Come on, you know." And I wasn't living at home or anything. I've been out of the house since I was like, you know, almost 19, 20, but. Um, she was like, Hey, you know, I know this guy and he owns a staffing company. And, uh, you know, I just ran into him and, you know, he, um, they're looking for people and I mentioned you and she's like, you'd be great for it. And she's like, you know, you you can, and and there was, there was this like ceiling, you know, like it was great money. I was making cash every night, but it's like, you know, you can only make like, you know, there was like 50, 60 grand a year cash, which is like amazing for a 20
0: year old. Yeah. But in Chicago, Uh, that's, it's a little, still a little rough, right?
1: Well, no, I mean when I was 21 my rent was like, you know, okay. $500. I lived okay. with my friends. We were partying every night. It was like, <laughs> you know, that was like, you know, just cash cuz she didn't really have any bills, you know. And um so she was like, but you need, you know, you need to think start thinking about the future and getting your resume together and, you know, actually get a real job like a 9 to 5. So, um I started that when I was uh um 27 and a half maybe. And then, so I was bartending at night. I was going to work during the day in the office, and then I was bartending at night. Got gotcha. you. Uh, and then, and then it was like, there was like a year and a half of transition where I transitioned out of the bar and started working in the office. And uh, then, you know, again, thinking back, like, here are skills that I learned in the staffing industry that I thought I would never use, you know, thinking like, oh, I want to waste of time kind of thing. Um, but here I am now using those those experiences. You know, I'm, I'm happy you went there because I,
0: I want to tap into that. So dive into the work you were doing when you were away from the industry and some of the big lessons you've learned doing that other type of work. Cause the cool thing about the restaurant industry is there's so many things you need to be good at. And there's so many, cause there's <laughs> sure. so many moving parts. There's so many, it's a business, right? And uh, to be really competitive, like you need to pull in all these different, uh, I guess, aspects of a business. So if you develop skills in a certain area, so what was your skill? What were you doing outside? Let's, let's get into that. Um, yeah. Paint that picture.
1: For sure. So it was it staffing company and, uh, but there was a big HR part of it, you know? So there was like, you know, the recruiting piece and then there was the hiring and then there was like the placement, Um, side of it and there was a lot of like projects that happened along that but all those like steps I had to learn and focus on and I started out as a recruiter and quickly went into like selling it but then you know it was you know once you sold an account and you got an account on board it was really like you had to jump in and recruit and help and talk to these candidates and interview people and help them with their resume and um, so it was a lot of HR stuff that Um, that I learned throughout that experience and I was there for three years um, and I really hated the industry. I was like so over it by the time I got out of it Um, and I thought, man, this is just a waste of time, you know? Yeah. And again, now looking back, these are skills that like really are helping me now um, because I learned a lot about the recruiting process and HR functions that, um, you know, I wouldn't have known otherwise.
0: So I think it's, Important, important to spend some time here on the topic of recruiting. I think it was Steve Jobs who said uh, the most important thing I can do uh, is be a recruiter. Uh, surrounding yourself with people who are better at things than you are and putting together that team. So what advice can you give us uh, on that topic of recruiting? How to be recruiting? What to be looking for? Can you speak to that?
1: Sure. Absolutely. And I think that you should be recruiting every single week. Like, so you should set a time uh, aside every week where you actually have job posts out. Like, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month, um, and then you have resumes coming in. Um, uh, there's, you know, I had some advice recently to put a little space on your website where it's people can just, you know, apply on your website for, you know, a job. And then this way, you have constant resumes coming in, and then you have, every week you go through those and you're interviewing people every week. So, you know, maybe a couple hours, maybe it's one, two, three interviews. But um, I think if you're always recruiting and you're always looking for great people, there's turnover in any industry. I mean, even if somebody, you know, is great, they have to, you know, move on to their next step or they need, you know, maybe they move, you know, um, there's always, you know, you're always going to be, um, you know, 10% people, you know, moving on to do something else. So if you find somebody great and you're interviewing every week, you should never really have a problem because yeah. was, you know. I think you should make room for somebody, even if you don't have something some space for them. Um, you know, make room for somebody great that you find. And if you're constantly interviewing people every week you're always going to be finding great
0: people. Yeah. And I, you know, we want to take care of our people. We don't want them to feel like their job is threatened. Uh, but at the same time, you want to let them know that if they're not going to bring it, if they're not going to step up every day, that just because they're a heartbeat on the line or whatever, uh, they're not necessarily safe just by showing up. Like there's people that you're, you're constantly adding people into the pot that raise the bar um, that meet that, that high level of, of standards you set. Uh, and you don't want to get lazy. You don't want to, just get comfortable with the people you have. You want to constantly be adding talent and people that bring you up, that raise up the team, right?
1: Absolutely. And you don't want to wait until there's a situation where, oh, no, now we need somebody. We lost exactly. somebody. Now yep. we have to like rush and just try to hire somebody. Yeah. If you're always interviewing every week, then you'll have people in your pipeline to bring on you know, when you need to.
0: Awesome. I love it. Um, and you know, one other thing that, that's I think worth mentioning here too, um, people in this industry are very transitional right we have to accept that nobody is going to be wanting to work 60 hours a week as much as you are every all the time and and if you just get if you get that foundation of uh people who are part-time who have been with you long enough who who are a players who are part-time and you have that like that bullpen right of people that are just there that are looking to pick up part-time hours who've been with you for years that know the job like that is and you get into the a, a bad position where your full-time people are maybe transitioning to other places then you have that bullpen and you reach back and you have that that cushion there to, to protect you for when times get really lean um no doubt. Which is also worth mentioning cool stuff all right cool man so when did this the the fire in your belly start rising up again to like say hey Joe like you need to you need to get back into food and beverage take us to that point <laughs> where this this uh this this vision started to happen for you?
1: Well, I should say that then from staffing and recruiting, I left that company and I went to a marketing. I went to a software company where I started doing marketing for them. So that transition, I thought, you know, this is, industry isn't for me, and I was looking for something different. Um, I wanted to actually be in an office, um, and so I had uh, got a new job in marketing, and again, that paved the way for what I'm doing now, but um, I did that for three years, and then that's when about halfway through that job, I started realizing, like, um, this is not for me. I need to be doing something that I'm, like, super passionate about. And um how it actually came about to get into the nitty gritty is uh I was I left my friend's house one day and I know we slept over, we partied the night before so we were drinking and uh I noticed that my legs were like ball. Like I'm Italian, so I got <laughs> very hairy legs. I hear you. And <laughs> I, I literally noticed that there was like patches on my leg that were missing that looked like somebody went and like took a bic razor to my leg. That's weird. And I was like I called my buddy up, I'm like, dude, I got a weird question for you. Did you like just play a joke on me and like shave my legs last night? Like, this is like totally out of character for him. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. I like, it literally looks like somebody shaved my legs. My wife's like, you need to go to a dermatologist. So I go to the dermatologist and she takes one look at me and she starts laughing. She's like, are you stressed out? And I'm like, well, kind of. And she's like, yeah. She's like, well, you can consider yourself lucky because normally, you know, when when, when stress, people are stressed like that, they lose hair on their head. And she's like, you're losing it on your leg. So she's like, you should feel lucky. She's like, but it's from stress. And I was like, really? <laughs> but here I, here I am in California. Like, like you said, I had this like cush job, my own an office, like overlooking, like I had a great view, you know, everything was supposed to be like great. Um, but here I am like stressed out in this box, working every day. And, uh, it was just subconscious. And I realized, like, I'm not doing something that I'm, like, passionate about. And I'm not, like, doing something I can, like, put my heart and soul into that I love. And so it was that moment that I realized, like, I need a big change in my life. I need to figure it out.
0: I'm laughing for two reasons. One reason, because I'm looking down at my legs. And I'm like, I'm pretty stressed (laughs) out right now. And I have all the hair in my legs. Maybe I'm not stressed enough. And then you mentioned losing hair (laughs) in your head. I was like, oh. Okay, no, that's that's where I lost it. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> the other reason why I'm laughing is because uh, the irony of I'm too stressed out in this office job. I'm gonna go open a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: my which, head checked, right? But at
0: least you know. But at the same time, uh, I'm I'm listening to, or I just recently listened to the book uh, A Man's or Man Searches for Meaning, um, which is the book that's written by that psychologist who uh, lived through the. Uh, uh, the, why can't I never remember this word? Uh, concentration camps. Um, and uh, he, in, there's a line in that book that says that you can deal with any how if you're, if you have the right why um, and you didn't have the right why man, you, you couldn't deal with the how because the, the why wasn't there for you. You weren't following your passion, your heart. Uh, so w- take us through the steps you started to take um, to follow that why to follow your passion, your love.
1: For sure. So I, um, I didn't know what I needed to do, but I know I needed to change. So I went to, um, a guy who I looked up to. He was a wealthy, it was my, my friend's father-in-law, mansion on top of a hill, um, kind of thing and very successful. I think he was retired at 55. I mean, quote unquote, not really, but, um, so I just went to him and I was like, Hey, Mark, you know, I need your advice. Like you clearly like did great for yourself. And you opened up your company and killed it. Like, I'm lost. And this is your father-in-law. Uh, no, it was my my good friend's father-in-law.
0: Okay, okay, got gotcha. you.
1: So I had just asked him that um, you know what you know I, I need I need some mentorship. And I need some advice. Like, what do I do? Uh, and I told him the story I just told you, and he goes, he goes, stop. He goes, just tell me without thinking about it. What do you love? And I was like, um, I love food. And he's like, What do you love about food? I'm like, I don't know. I love restaurants. And he's like, That's it. He's like, That's what you need to do. He's like, you figure out how to do that. And he's like, you'll be happy. And he's like, you know, everyone knows the phrase, but if you do what you love, you'll never work another day in your life. And so at that moment, he was kind of like, figure it out. He was like, just figure it out. And so I'm like, okay. So now I had this like seed planted in my head that like, okay, food. I love food. I love restaurants. Like, what do I do from here? So then... I had all these ideas. Maybe I'll open up this kind of restaurant, or maybe I'll do this, or maybe I'll do this stand, or I'll do you know, I, I was all over the place. My wife's like, stop right now. She's like, You need to just like pick one idea that you can really like go with and just then do it. She's like, You have all these ideas going on. She's like, You need to pick one. I'm like, Okay. And I, I was I kept thinking back to meatballs. I'm like, okay, like I love like I grew up with my grandma cooking meatballs. And I thought about meatballs being something that like, I know intimately from my childhood. Everyone loves meatballs. And then I was like, okay, meatballs can take on any flavor. So I came up with this kind of meatball concept. And I started writing it down. And uh, um, from there, I came up with uh, Meatball Republic.
0: Awesome. Um, man, a lot of great things to, to draw out of that this portion of your story, and that's just the importance of finding a mentor, the somebody who is successful in life. I mean, a lot of people are willing to give advice, right? You hear people always offering up their advice, but are they successful? Uh, go to somebody who has made it, who does know what it takes and ask for their advice. They can paint a better picture for you and that advice that he gave you, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I love it. Um, and the thing is to really get ahead, to be somebody who's at the top, you, you need to love what you're doing because like 9 times out of 10 it's it's your ability to outwork other people that will get you ahead and if you don't love it if you're not passionate about it then like you were in your office job like you won't have that drive you won't have that ambition to do the work uh it's so important um and then the, just to focus on one thing uh you know don't be don't try to be everything to everyone do one thing better than everybody else and own that 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 I don't know that niche or whatever uh, is all awesome. <clears throat> excuse me also great advice um there was 100 percent. yeah man um oh man there was one other thing i wanted to pull out of this oh uh that i love how he asked you what what do you want to do like what what was the what how did he ask you again
1: he basically was just like what do you love yes um, he was like don't even think about it he's like give me a give me an answer what do you love and i was like uh food it was that is
0: like, it. That is a great interview question right there and i popped <laughs> into my head because if you really one of the things we learned on the show is like do do uh when you're when you're interviewing people don't find out like what they do find out who they are and if you can find out what they love what they're passionate about a lot you can get a lot about who that person is because we hire for attitude right so you want to try sure. to you want to try to get at that so great stuff all right man so um you commit to meatball Republic or the idea of meatballs uh, and you're leaning into this one thing. uh, What were you doing uh, to get started? How did you even get started? Like, where did you start?
1: So then I realized that I needed a business plan and I was like, okay, like I know nothing about a business plan. And I kind of um, just thought like, okay, I'm going to treat this like a school project, you know? And I just um, started doing one page at a time and I got some examples and I reached out to a bunch of people um, to try to see if, if somebody could share a business plan with me um, that I could use as like a template. And um, I started writing this thing out. And every day I would just chip away at it a little bit, you know, a little bit. And it was a really great experience because um, writing the business plan also forced me to like do research. Because I would get to like a section um, then I'd be like, hmm, I don't know anything about that. And I would, you know, then go in and like dive deep into like researching um, the hell out of whatever like, topic was, you know, the on um, the, on that portion of the business plan and then i got to the financials of the business plan and i was like oh my god i'm like 100 lost here so i was like what can i do um so i started reaching around to like uh, looking around for culinary schools because i thought maybe there's like something in a culinary school that um maybe touches on that like part of it and i um, found this little culinary school in san diego and um she had a, a course that was called the uh business business of food and I go oh my gosh this is like fate because this is like exactly what I need to learn is like the business of food so I contacted um, the chef who owned this little culinary school and uh, I got her to um, take me on as like um, an apprentice and we did this like kind of mentorship um, thing over uh, six months it was actually really cool she literally I met with her every Saturday for six months sometimes it was from 10 to like you know one sometimes it was like it would go to like 10 at night and uh she just taught me everything i needed to know about behind the scenes of restaurants and the business of food um everything from payroll, cash flow statements balance sheets um marketing a restaurant what goes on in kitchens um how, she taught me restaurant math um how to you know do food costs i mean you name it we went over everything and uh that kind of um projected me into opening up the um, meatball stand because at the end of it, she goes, okay, she goes, your food's great. because I was bringing her food and whatnot and, and uh, I was letting her like sample it. And she goes, your food's great. And now she's like, you need to open up a pop-up stand. And she goes, the reason why is because you think you have a good concept. Um, I think you have a good concept. She's like, but she's like, the market is what's going to tell you if you have a good concept or not. And she's like, you, you know, for two thousand, three thousand dollars, you can get a whole setup that's going to force you to be, you know, in production and go out there and market. And she's like, and that's going to tell you if the market really likes like what your concept is. And she goes, you can start really small, something that you can like bite off right now, and then um, go set up and find out if it's something that people really want.
0: Yeah, awesome. Uh, before we move on, I want to. What was this woman's name again? I should know it uh, because.
1: She was on the show. Yeah. Right,
0: 425 show. episodes, man. Give me a break.
1: Uh, Chef Arlene Lloyd.
0: Arlene. L- R- A-R-L-E-E-N.
1: Uh, I think so. Yes, I think that's it. Arlene Lloyd.
0: Episode 248. So head over to com slash 248 to check out that episode. And Yeah. Awesome, dude. I love where this conversation going right now. I knew okay. you'd be a great episode. Uh, and what I wanted to draw from that, you know, yeah, like you pop up. I, I my opinion, pop ups are the way to go, especially if you're working in the industry and you know people who have space, who know, like and trust you, who want to help you. Uh, go to those people who have the space. It might be a farmer's market, but it could also be, uh, your employer who has the space on an off day on a Sunday or a Monday. Uh, test your concept there, uh, and go to your friends and start start where you can. It might only be 20 people. That's fine. Uh, just start and get feedback and constantly refine. The other cool thing that pop-ups will do... I mean, you're going to be testing the market, testing your concept, but you're also going to be get, developing a following, right? So start your webpage, uh, get your social handles going, and then get those loyal people who are with you from day one i mean those are going to be your your bread and butter that's going to be the 20 percent that make up 80 percent of your revenue uh and lean into that and grow that you can start that stuff right now even with a concept start putting your ideas out there and share your ideas with the world and those people that know love and, and you know just trust you are going to be the, the beginning of that momentum
1: no doubt and, and actually um a part of chef arlene's um Thing about that was that, you know, within three weeks, she said you should have five to 10 repeat customers. And she said, if you can, in three weeks doing your pop up stand, if you can have that many people keep return, start returning to you, she goes, now you know you're onto something. She goes, because it's, you know, now you have people who are like, they tried it and they can't stop thinking about it and they want to come
0: back already. Awesome. Okay. So uh, let's get into the next phase. So you're doing the pop up. So actually, before we move on, I think we might be able to extract some some advice from you some things you learned about sure. pop-ups what, what advice do you have for somebody out there who's like okay i can start there i can get into a farmer's market like what do you need to know about a pop-up
1: um so it's actually a lot of work it's not um and you don't really make any money from it either yeah. that's the other thing it's kind of a break-even deal because the money that you bring in kind of just offsets like all this your is costs. More of a
0: hobby than anything else right
1: I mean, I wouldn't say it's a hobby, but it's a very good way to test like what you're doing and find out if you're on the right track or
0: not. Don't quit your day job is a point of <laughs> yeah. Don't about. quit your day <laughs> job for
1: sure uh, because you have to pay. You know, you have to get insurance, you have to get um, your health department like licenses, um, and you have to go. Um, you know, get all the equipment and get set up for it, and then um, running around and grabbing all the food from if you have to go to Restaurant Depot or Costco or. Jewel or wherever you're running around, you have to hit up a bunch of stores, you know, spend the money to get the food. Then you either have to, um, they, actually you're supposed to sign up for a commissary and go set up at a commissary and cook in a professional kitchen, but really everyone cooks at home. So you really, you're really cooking at home. Um, but that takes time, you know? And then once you cook everything and prep everything up and getting all the ingredients, then you have to like logistically set it up so you can bring it to the market sell it, you know, get it hot again, sell it, and then you have to bring everything home and clean everything. Um so it's a lot of work. I mean it literally it's a ton of work. But um, you mentioned two really nice things. You know, you can you get to test your concept and you also get to build a fan base, you know, for what you're doing. Awesome. And it's and it's literally for not that much money. You know, for two thousand dollars you can get all set up. Like, yeah. really nice and stuff.
0: you can bounce back for two thousand from two thousand dollars. You can't bounce back Absolutely. from taking out a small loan to open a counter, uh, operation or like over the counter or like a QSR or, I mean, it's good to start small, but start as small as you can and scale up because the, the, the more momentum you have going into that brick and mortar, the, the easier it's going to be. Um, totally. all right. Uh, where are we at? So, uh, this is
1: 2005 and I did this, um, for basically the entire year I started out at, um, a pop-up food uh, festival that did it every week in Oceanside, California. But then from there, um, uh, literally, like, people started, like, wanting, like, oh, I hear about these meatballs. Can you come cater my party? Um, and then there's a lot of wineries and breweries in Southern California. So a lot of people were being like, oh, can you come, you know, do this brewery? We're having this event. Can you come set up um, at our winery? So I started getting all these opportunities um, leading into the end of 2015. Um, But I had to make a hard decision at that point because it was like, okay, like I'm basically breaking even, but I'm making a lot of contacts and I'm learning a lot. Um, But I was like, you know what, my real goal is to open up a brick and mortar. So I said, you know, I'm putting, I was working, you know, 40 hours a week at my full time job. And then the pop up was easily another 40 hours a week. So I'm doing 80 hours a week. And I was like, I should be focusing my time on raising capital for a brick and mortar. So that's um, what led me to a Kickstarter campaign um, leading up to the end of uh 2015 I got a hold of a um, you know a little film crew and they helped do a little video for me and uh we I stopped doing the pop-up stand to specifically focus on raising capital and uh launch the Kickstarter campaign
0: all right. So this is 2015. We do the Kickstarter. Um, this is another reason why I wanted you on the show to try to extract some advice on how to run a successful Kickstarter. You didn't reach your goal, did you? But you came... Did you no, reach your we goal? Had,
1: Yeah, we hit it. $25,000. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know why. I, <laughs> yeah.
0: So you, what I'm thinking is you didn't end up opening Meatball Republic, but you got backers and you got... because. So because of that Kickstarter campaign, you, you, you put your your presence into the world you're you're yeah. you know, you're tapping into that ether and letting it be known what you want to do and when you do that when you let it be known what you want to do uh you know the universe will some way somehow provide channels uh or avenues for you right to go and you don't know what direction you're going to go but you need to put it out there um Absolutely. so talk to us about what well mm, let's put that on the back burner what advice do you have for a successful kickstarter before we move on to what became of the kickstarter
1: so Kickstarters are a ton of work. It is like not easy. People make it seem easy, but it is like not easy at all. Getting the video going is um, a really hard piece of it. Um, and I also think like, like I was gonna go for like 10,000 or 15,000 and uh, somebody pushed me. They were like, What not you like exceed that? You should really shoot for 25,000. That was actually like a lot. It was like too much. And I wasn't about to make our goal. Um, and my friend came out to California to visit and he was like, dude, he's like, we can hit this. Are you kidding me? He was in a band. He is in a band and he hit, he did a Kickstarter and he's like, dude, we have to email everyone you know, everybody. He's like, we need to hit Facebook up and just go crazy. So literally we contact, I mean, I contacted kids that like I knew from like second grade. I'm like, Hey, I haven't seen you since second grade, but guess what? <laughs> I'm trying to open up a restaurant. Do you want to give us $10? You know, um, so literally I reached out to, um, every person at a Met in my entire life, and he helped me do it. We emailed everyone a Facebook message, anyway way we can get a hold of people to send them a link to the Kickstarter campaign. Um, but I can say that the Kickstarter campaign, like you said, it did put out in the world that, hey, like, I'm here. This is my intentions. This is what I'm doing. And I'm putting myself out there. And that led to me getting funded for Meatball Republic, and then in turn, actually led to that funding being used to open up Private Coop. Mm. But that got my investors' attention for sure. And that's how I have a restaurant today is from that.
0: So uh, the key things I got from this is uh, you know, get help for the video. Make sure you have a really good video. Uh, get more money than you need because there's always hidden costs. Uh, as much money as you think you can get, more than you need... Um, and reach out to everybody you know. And I think this kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier with start where you can get your following as early as possible. Because when you do reach out to people for money, the, the greater following you have, the more people you connect with, the more potential avenues you have to get that capital from. Um, what advice do you have for video? Uh, any like t- tips or tricks or things you need to consider if you're doing a Kickstarter?
1: Yeah, you can reach out to like local colleges all over the place and find college students who are in it who kind of are going to school for videography. And I would say hit them up all day and just kind of see who, who can help you out. Um, Craigslist, there's a lot of like videographers, guys who like are just starting out and they maybe like do weddings to like, you know, make money right now, but they can come and help you do your Kickstarter campaign. Um, the video is key and the editing too. We actually had somebody um video it and they edited it and the editing wasn't actually that good so i had to find somebody else to um in texas actually so i got like a drive from the guy who shot the video and we sent it to a second person to edit it and he put together more of like a heartfelt video um for us that actually kind of like pulled the strings of the heart you know a little
0: better so dive into that why is what do you mean by a heartfelt why do we need to be focusing on heartfelt videos
1: Well, with the Kickstarter campaign, like you're asking people for money. You're asking them to reach into their wallet and give you like their hard earned cash, you know, and you got to take that pretty seriously. Um, so you really need to give them a reason to, you know, want to actually help you out. You know, it's, um, it's a very, you know, personal thing when you say, Hey, can you give me money? (laughs) You know, like, could you help me out? You know, I know I haven't seen you in 10 years, but, uh, you know, would you donate $50 to our campaign? Um, so um yeah i think uh if you make it um pull passionate the, enough yep. and you you know make it um i'm losing the words but really you just want you know, to yeah, uh, sentimental
0: and just you know that you want to you want like you said you want to pull the strings of the heart and uh i think a great book uh to kind of get at oh uh, the why. Basically, what we're talking about is create a why that people can get behind. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Uh, so pick up Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why. I think that's one book that if anybody's trying to get cleared in who they are and why they're doing what they're doing and developing that brand, that's one book that's a must-read.
1: And I wish I would have read that book before we did the Kickstarter. <laughs> I read that book after.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but uh, great stuff there. So okay, um, you got the Kickstarter. You, you you hit you hit your your goals. Uh, you got backers, and now you're going to open Meatball Republic. Uh, take us. W- w- this is around the time I met you, by the way. Yep. Um mm-hmm. This is uh, when. I mean, it's cool. But it's hard for me to, to not jump in too much because I know so much of your story, uh, and we Joe Joe's a part of the mastermind that I host, and we're about to start the third chapter, I guess, of the mastermind. The, the third uh, p- we've done one, then we did another one, and we're about to do our third. Uh, don't worry about the phone, Joe. I realize that life happens. Uh, Sorry about that. You're good, dude. So, uh, so I'm gonna do my best to shut up and let you do your thing. So what happens here? Maple <laughs> Public gets going.
1: So from there, um, I get a call. How appropriate was the ringing back? <laughs> um, I get a call from a good friend of mine um, who was a uh, um, he, he. He's a real estate guy, and he says, "You know, I want to like help you out." And he was like, "I would like to be an investor." He's like, "Cause I believe in what you're doing," and he offered me like a ridiculous amount of money. Um, and he was the first one to actually like offer like a big chunk of change. This was kind of right after the Kickstarter campaign. And I was like, well, I'm like, I really appreciate that. I'm like, but it's not, that's not enough, you know, to open up a brick and mortar. So I'm like, you know, I'm trying to raise money from like at least only like one or two investors because I don't really want to get a big group. But I said, like, you know, I'm really touched that you would offer that amount. And, um, I, you know, let me see if I can raise the rest and then we'll get you involved if uh, if we're, you know, short or need a little extra capital. And then um, the same friend um, hit me up about... Um, two months later and he said, Hey, um, he goes, there's this space available. He's a real estate guy. And he's like, there's a space available in one of our buildings that we rep and it would be perfect for the meatball Republic. And he's like, but he's like, it's in Chicago. He's like, would you be interested in moving back to Chicago from California? And he's like, it's a great opportunity. The tenant's moving out and um, it's not even on the market yet. And it's the meatball Republic would just kill it there. And the building will put in some money um, for you. And he's like, and I'll help figure out the rest of the capital that you need to get this thing going. And I was like, oh my gosh, at this time, my wife and I, we just bought our first house and we just had our first, um, our daughter. So we just had our first kid and we just bought our first house and here we are. I get this phone call that like, Hey, you know, we have an opportunity for you in Chicago, but you have to move back here for it. So I go back to my wife and I'm like, Oh my God, what do you, you know, like it's a great opportunity. The capital's there and it's a great location, right? I'm like Maine and Maine basically. Um, What do you think about this? And she's like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? She's like, we just bought our first house. She (laughs) was like literally ready to kill me. Um, But I go, well, let's just see where this thing goes because, you know, this is just, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, these things fall apart all the time. So I flew back to Chicago and I uh, went and saw the space and had a meeting about, you know, everything about it. And then I came back and I'm like, you know, now that we have, we have a daughter, you know, it'd be nice for her to grow up with her grandparents. What do you think about moving back to Chicago? And my wife was like, you know, this is your dream. I want to support you. So if that takes to get this going, like I'll do it. Wow. So from there... Um, so then the other
0: nugget that we need to pull out of this is yeah. marry somebody who is understanding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you need your spouse on board. Yeah. 200%. Um, and um, um, so we started signing a lease. We literally put a lease together and we signed a lease for this space. And it was a bridal store that was supposed to move out into a location down the street, a bigger location. And it was kind of a handshake deal that their their building owners said, we'll let you out of your lease if you sign a new lease in our other building. And um, and then there was a pancake restaurant uh, called Stacked right next to us. So they were gonna take half the space of this bridal store and Meatball Republic was gonna take the other space. And so here we are, we have a green light. I remember this being like a day where I was like, oh my God, I made it because I got the phone call. Like literally we have a full green light, the lease is signed and we're ready to go on this. So I literally hired an architect um, we used the money from the Kickstarter campaign to pay for the architect. Uh, we paid uh, a designer to um, give 3 renderings and do the designing. And the architect and the designer worked hand in hand to come up with like our full architect drawings um, to get um, to get everything designed out, um, literally to a T. We hired uh, or we bid it out to five different contractors and awarded one of the contractors the bid for um, building out the restaurant. Um, we went to the village, submitted all the plans. Um, we were like lock stock and Spoken barrels. I even asked the village, I go, well, we're going to be opening up in the summer. This is of 2016. I go, when should I get our liquor license? She's like, oh my God, immediately. So I went, flew back out to Chicago again, uh, went in front of the board of trustees and you know, gave a little speech about what we're doing in the community. And they, you know, voted and gave us our liquor license. So we had like full green lights all around. I had our permits. We had a liquor license. We had the lease signed, uh, a ten-year lease, um, and we were just waiting for the bridal store to move out. And literally, we had um, news that um, you know the bridal store was moving out. It was first. It was January. Then it was like okay, it's April. Then it was April fifteenth. Then it was June. Then it was July. Then it was August fifteenth, and then now we're in um, October of 2016 and now my contractors like won't even pick up our calls anymore. You know, I played cry wolf with everybody (laughs) to get this thing going. And we were literally like, okay, we're going to have to put meatball Republic on hold because this place isn't moving out. And Mm -hmm. we literally spent all that money. We spent um, almost $23,000 getting everything together to go and do demo and
0: build out the restaurant. Hindsight being twenty twenty, what would you have done differently about that situation?
1: <clears throat> I would have made sure that the lease that we were going into was like not just on a handshake deal. Like, hey, I want to see their lease signed. I would have actually just went in and like talked to them. Like, hey, you know, your owners of this building are signing a lease with me for your space. Are you for sure moving out? And I would actually like personally went and talked to them instead of putting all my eggs in that one basket. I would have made sure that they were moving out or either that or not even signed a lease until it was like a vacant space. Yeah. Like, okay, well you're telling me these people are moving out, but I'll wait till I actually see it. And then we'll sign the lease once it's like a vanilla box. Whatever.
0: So it's it's October, November time. Uh, you're coming to a uh, realization that you're going to have to put this whole thing on the back burner, or even just scrap it all together. What are you thinking emotionally? Where are you?
1: Well, I was just thinking at that time, I'm like, well, let's just wait it out. You know, I'm in California still. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll definitely spend another winter in California. No, no problem. And I was thinking, you know, let's just keep working at it. And I kept learning and reading books and, you know, just trying to educate myself on the industry. And I said, okay, you know, in the beginning of next year, we'll start um, seeing where things are at. Because I was still being told that this bridal store was going to move out. So we were still like, okay, well, let's just wait until actually do move out and, um, and and in the meantime I'm just gonna keep you know sharpening my knife and improving my you know my knowledge and working on educating myself and uh, every day you know I just kept working on that so then that led us to 20 beginning of 2017 and my partner called me up um, and he says okay we need to start looking at other locations because if the bridal store never moves out, like, I still want to, we still need to do Meatball Republic. This is a great idea. It's a hit. Um, let's start looking at other locations. So we spent the majority of 2017, um, researching other locations all over Chicagoland area. I mean, you name it, every town. We were trying to look for a second generation restaurant with a bar, uh, primarily in a downtown area and primarily by like a train station, you know, something like that. That was like our like sweet spot. So why we, second uh, generation? Uh, because it's way less expensive <laughs> to go into a restaurant, we were trying to minimize our startup capital, um, especially because we were thinking like, okay, if we can get a second generation and open up Meatball Republic one um, for like not that much money, and then we find out you know that Eva's bridal is moving out, then boom, let's we're gonna open up Meatball Republic still in this location because to this day we still have the lease for that that space. So we're still not giving up on Meatball Republic. We're still going forward with it. It's just um, we wanted to start lean with another location, just in case like we did get this space and then we could open up a second restaurant like right away.
0: So sometime uh, mid to early 2007, they approach you with an opportunity. Take us there.
1: Um, okay, so then so in 2017, does say say? Yeah you did. Sorry, two thousand seventeen. <laughs> right. So um I get a call and there's like, hey, there's this uh chicken restaurant, ironically, that uh, just shut its doors and um it would be it's a great space. There's bathrooms there, the hoods are there, grease traps there. Um this place is like they literally just did a build out and it went under um within like six or eight months or something. And it's also across the street from where the Meatball Public was gonna be. Um, So they were like, you know, you need to come out to Chicago and check this place out. I fly out here and I look at the space and I take one foot in the door and I go, oh my God, like this is, place is amazing, but it's an over-the-counter service. And Meatball Republic is more like a full service um, wine club kind of thing. You know, um, it's a whole different animal than over-the-counter service. I told my partner, I said, you know, we would have to spend a half million dollars to demo this place again and set it up for Meatball Republic. And I'm like, that is just way too much money to spend on a restaurant that's already like, already put together, you know. And he goes, well, is there anything over-counter service we can do? And I said, oh, man, I don't know. You know, it's like, I, I never pictured doing anything over the counter like that. And he's like, well, he's like, it's a great space. You should think about it. And so I came back to him and I said, well, I am in love with these Nashville hot chicken sandwiches that are like addicting. And he never even heard of it. So um, I flew back out to Chicago again now and took him around to a bunch of restaurants um, on the North side of Chicago where they do serve Nashville hot um, chicken. And I thought that he was going to be like sold like, Oh, fantastic. Like, this is great. Like, let's do it. And actually he wasn't sold. <laughs> he was like, he was like, ah, I wasn't really impressed by that. I was like, really? Um, I'm like, oh man. So, and by this time now, I already have like, I wrote the whole business plan out for Fry the Coop. And now I'm like starting to get emotionally involved because like the more I think about the concept and the idea of um, Fry the Coop, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a hit, this is like fantastic. So now um, I'm in California and we just had our second child. So my son was born and um we're literally in the hospital and i get the call like yeah you know um like i know we're like moving forward with this but we don't want to sign the lease until like we really try the food and i'm like well she's like you know we weren't really impressed with you know the restaurants that we went to so like we want this to be green light but like i can't like guarantee that i can fund give you money without like actually tasting the food I literally had to go back to my wife and here we are, we have a toddler and a newborn baby. And I'm like, honey, I gotta fly back out to Chicago. And she's like, are you kidding me? she's like, I need your help. Like, you can't go, you can't go to Chicago. I'm like, I promise I'll be gone for like 30 hours. I'll literally fly out there. I'll cook, you know, fry the coop dinner up and then I'll fly back. And she was like, fine. So literally I jumped on a plane, um, came to Chicago Uh, Cooked up my version of Nashville hot chicken, all the stuff that I learned. And um, then from there, it was like, okay, this is like fantastic. Yeah. Now we for sure got a green light. I want
0: to add a little cliff note because it's listening to the story. Uh, it's it's so powerful how much you've influenced some of the, the content that I've created uh, first with um, Arlene Lloyd. And then I had Howlin' Rays on the show. I don't know if you guys remember episode. I can't yeah. remember Howlin' Rays, but that was because uh, I wanted to help. I was like, maybe I can get something out of this for Joe uh, because it's a very similar concept, right? Counter service, uh, fried chicken, hot fried chicken. Uh, so, uh, I know it's just interesting um, <laughs> so to reflect to, to know that, the impact you've had on Restaurant Stoppable. Uh, what what episode was that? Howlin' Rays. Let me look that one up real quick. So you guys, That's can a good one. H uh, o w l i n Rays. I think it was
1: fairly recent. Yeah, I would that say. was
0: episode three forty nine. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com dot slash three forty nine and check that one out. Um, okay, so you find out there, you cook, they're sold. What's next?
1: So now it was like okay. Um, we signed the lease, but I went to the building owner and I said, listen, like, I just had a son. We have a newborn baby. I have to sell my house in California and I have to move my, my family across country. I need you to give me like two months to basically, because I didn't want to move. We didn't want to move our son um, as like a newborn across country. So we wanted to wait till he was at least six weeks old. Uh, and that's how we timed it out. So they understood. and They said, okay, we'll give you till um, September to get this whole thing going. And so, um, yeah, we put our house up for sale. We sold the house. We packed everything up, put it in a truck. Uh, we sailed across the U.S. and uh, got here and burned the oars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, we um, moved my whole family across country and uh, landed in Chicago. We rented a place. We were like – I mean, it happened so quickly. We literally, like, there was – we couldn't – for some reason, we had a hard time renting a place. And then like two weeks before we were supposed to move here, literally like we didn't even have a lease, like anywhere to live. Man. So we like quickly signed a lease for like a condo, um, shipped our stuff across country and then got here, uh, September 1st or September 2nd. And I literally, I put my, my family on a plane and then I drove across country and, um, got here and just started working from day one, literally, um, oh, man. got here working ever
0: since and that was uh around um, september november no that
1: was uh september 1st of 2017 okay
0: so Um, uh any anything you want to add regards to the opening uh biggest challenges things you had to overcome and it's hard to believe your odium was at an hour dude time goes by so fast (laughs) uh anything you want to add in to that part of the story because there might be some value there i don't want to skip over it
1: no, sure. So I knew a 100% that like I had a great idea. But I also knew that like, I am not a chef and I'm not like a back of the house guy. I'm a bartender by trade, right? I'm a front of the house, hospitalitarian. So like, I like taking care of people. I know how the front of the house works. But like, you know, I've worked in kitchens before and I kind of know I have an idea how the foods cooked, But I don't I didn't know it from a um, from like a, a professional, like, in, you know, industrial, you know, commercial, that's the word I'm looking for, the commercial side of running a kitchen. Um, like I can, you know, cook a meal at your house for you and make you great Nashville fried chicken sandwich at home. But that's very different from like home cooking to like doing a commercial yeah, grade scale. Restaurant. Like that, yeah. So I knew so that I needed to find a head chef who can master the kitchen. And Which is so easy to, to do
0: right up. now, trying to find a head chef to run a restaurant in the industry. It's just, oh, yeah, you know, The help is just <laughs> abundant. Uh, yeah, totally. so how'd you do that?
1: So we just put out job posts everywhere. And I knew that um, I wanted somebody with skills, but I also knew that we needed somebody who values matched with me. So I wrote down all my values and I literally started interviewing people. And the, my first question I asked them was basically, You know, if your values don't line up with my values, like this is going to be a waste of time for both of us. Mm. So we need to find out if our values line up and then we can kind of move on. And, uh, there was out of, we had like almost 70 resumes that applied, uh, 70 people who applied for the head chef position. There were five resumes that stood out and one that stood out above everyone's. Um, and, uh, I thought, you know, half an hour, hour interview. Um, but, uh, our uh, chef came and ended up, you know, we walked around the block and, talked and uh, talked about our values and what he wants to do with his life and you know how you know how he wants to help people and um, our values lined up to like a T so uh, an hour interview turned into three hours and um, uh, it was just literally a gift from God that um, that uh, we got we got lined up together because uh, we found a chef who is a master at his craft. Um, his level of expectation is like uh, way above mine. And uh, or his level of excellence, I should say, like mine's up here. His is like way like even like above the ceiling. Um, and he's just I we got so lucky. But I, I knew I had to find somebody who could master that piece of it because um, that's where I kind of left.
0: Yeah. Huge lesson there. Like know your lane. Stay in your lane. Surround yourself with other people who are strong where you're weak. Uh, and the other big lesson there is the the importance of hiring people for values. You need you need those same core values. You need to be pulling in the same direction. You can't be fighting each other. Uh, awesome stuff. Um, and that you opened your doors uh, two months ago. So yes. as of like the new year almost or like December. Uh, and how's it been since opening? What are you learning? What what crazy things are going on?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, um, we've learned a lot. We've changed our menu like 12 times because um, we basically I had an idea of where we wanted to go. And but I also knew that we needed to kind of be flexible to pivot um, by based on like the, the feedback from the community and the feedback from um, the market, basically telling us what they want and what they don't want. So um, literally, we just we we opened up without a sign. That was another thing. I most restaurants do these like big grand openings on day one and I think it's literally insane. To me, it's like you don't you don't even any company, I don't care what business you're in, there's no way you have everything figured out on day Mm -hmm. one. You know what I mean? It it takes sometimes years for Mm -hmm. a company to get their mojo, you know? Like literally two, three years for you to get your culture in place, your like mojo is a great word for it. Um and uh literally so we didn't even have our sign yet, and I said, let's just open our doors. We'll just let people come in. We'll let it be word of mouth, and we'll just start serving people, and we'll take, we'll just get feedback from everybody, yep. and we'll we'll just start pivoting, you know, in one direction or another. And uh, that's how we've been doing over the last two months is just by listening. We finally got our sign up about a month ago, and um, that's helped. Um, we still haven't done any advertising. It's been 100% word of mouth, and uh, we're serving. I'm about 200 to 250
0: guests a day now. Awesome, so, dude! All for more. Uh, it's really off. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's a great book I want to mention right now that really helps. Uh, kind of dive into what you're talking about with starting. I call it, uh, the Lean Startup uh, by Eric Ries, talking about just starting with a minimal viable product, getting it to market, uh, and pivoting slowly, listening to the market, getting feedback, and making small adjustments to get what your market wants. Uh, great stuff there. Um, and then I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, you, you don't, those first impressions are so important. And if, if you're, running around with your head cut off and your systems processes procedures are there but people haven't figured them out yet and they're not quite ready to handle that kind of volume like you're going to make really bad first impressions and you might lose these people once you've lost them it's really hard to get them back so oh my
1: gosh yeah you get one one shot in the restaurant business people give you one shot and if you don't nail it the first experience they're never coming back exactly you might maybe get lucky and they'll give you a second shot but Usually that's not the case. So I wanted to make sure that like our team was lock stock and smoking barrels before we got on the roof and started shouting. Um, and we're still working on it. I think we're, you know, out of all the systems and processes that we want to get in place, we're only about 25% there, you know? So, um, and we're not going to have our grand opening, um, until probably March, maybe beginning of April. So we're talking five months, six months after we open, we're going to have a grand opening, um, Cause then I feel like we'll have our systems and processes down then. Um, hopefully our culture will be a little better in place and uh, everyone will be trained. We'll know what we're doing. Then we can finally handle a little more volume. Um, and it's been nice too, because even though I want more money and more cash flow to help with the business, um, you know, where everyone gets a great experience when they come in now, you know, somebody yep. comes in, we're able to take our time with them. They don't have to wait that long and we can actually provide a great experience for them. Um, instead of having a line out the door and making people wait 20, 30 minutes and, you know, giving them a bad impression of like who we are and what we're doing.
0: Awesome, dude. Anything up to this point you were hoping to share with us that you haven't got the chance to share, uh, before you move to the speed round?
1: Um, well, yeah, I wanted to, um, add about financials, talk about financials. Go for it. So one piece of advice that somebody gave me is that, um, you know, I, I didn't realize how many vendors try to hit you up once you open up a business, especially a, a restaurant because it's so public, you know. Um but literally we have people coming in here every single day and they wanna pitch their thing, whatever it is to us about, you know, I'm gonna save you money here and what what are you spending on there? And why are you with that vendor? You could be with us and we'll be doing it better for you and this and that. And uh somebody told me, No one comes in your door is trying to do you a favor. They're all trying to do themselves a favor by, you know, getting a new account and getting their commission. So like, um, monthly costs for a restaurant, especially can get out of control very, very quickly. I mean, 50 bucks a month here, $200 a month here, $15 a month there. I mean, it all adds up and all of a sudden your like operational costs are like in the tens of thousands. So I think it's really important to like protect yourself and try to keep those monthly costs down. Um, because, you know, like we had a vendor come in here. And he promised us the world, and I signed up with them. And then, literally, it was like Houdini. Smoke came out, and all of a sudden, this guy was gone. Mm. And he he gave me his cell. He told me, "This is my cell phone number. You call me anytime, night and day. I'll be here for you." And then, really, he gave me some number that goes to the customer service line. And <laughs> like literally, the guy was like, "Gone." I had never talked to him again. Yeah. He should have told me, "Yeah, actually, I'm gonna I'm the sales rep. You'll never hear from me again. Here's the account manager. You'll deal with from now on." Oh like, man. It was three weeks the time I finally figured that out, and we didn't have service for it. But I just um, the advice that I want to share on the finances is protect yourself, and then another part of that is uh, cash flow. I realize like a lot of restaurant tours, myself included, like don't really focus on cash flow, and I think it is so important. Like a lot of people look at their P and L sheets, and basically uh, the best line I've heard from that is it's like looking in your rearview mirror. You're basically looking at the past and there's nothing you can do about and L Like that already happened. But your cash flow is something you can actually like work on and like predict and like control, you know, because that's something that's in the future. So if you know your cash flow, it can line you up to do a lot better things and you know help your business way yeah. more. So I'd say any advice I can give to restaurateurs, or anyone in any business, is understand your cash flow statements, focus on it. Um, and, uh, really, uh, plan for it.
0: Do you think you could teach a webinar on cash flow? No, <laughs> no, I can't, <laughs> but
1: you should get a bookkeeper on and have them teach cash flow. Yeah. Because I'll have to find really the right guy. Important. I'm actually still learning myself. I'm having our bookkeeper, uh, come in, um, next month and she's going to teach our whole team, um, our balance sheet, our cash flow statement and the PL. Um, and I want to have another sheet that's kind of like and L, but it's like goal. It's like a future PL. So i want like, uh, like a goal PL, where it's like, what what are we going to want to achieve next month? And what is our PL going to look like next month?
0: Kind yeah. Of I, th- I think it, uh, somebody explained a PL kind of like uh, to see where you hit, right? It's a, it's a way to like, they say ready, fire, aim, right? And that's where you hit the fire and it allows you to readjust to pull the trigger and, and hit it, like to see where you wound up and what you need to do to adjust for the future is kind of a good way I've, I've heard it explained. Um, yeah. But another book I got to mention this book too, because uh, I feel like it's a right on of what you're going with is the profit first Uh, talking about the, the the power of cash, cash, be cash, cash heavy, pay yourself first, get what you need to survive. And then whatever extra you get determines your growth. Uh, And, start investing in things that will help you get more time back so you can, you know, work on building your business, um, not be in your business, but so you can work on your business. Is that a book that you would recommend? Is that kind of one of the, Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we are 100% a profit first company. No yep. doubt. Yep. That book changed, changed my life literally because your business is not in business to pay expenses. And expenses, especially restaurants are like cash eating monsters. Yep. They literally will gobble up every penny you have in the bank. So you're not in business to make, to pay expenses. You're in business to make profit. And so profit first, literally you, it's just like that. You take your profit first. So it's not, um, sales minus expenses equal profit. The formula is sales minus profit equals expenses. And the whole point behind that is you set up a separate bank account where you actually take your profit first. So if you bring in, say, $20,000 for the week, you would take whatever allocation you made for that 10%, 12%, whatever you want to add to your profit account, you would take that immediately from the top and you put it into your profit account. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like sales tax. You forget about it. Like, it's gone. That money yeah. is gone. in your the, profit
0: account. When people hear profit first, like, oh, I'm not about profit. But the truth is you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And whatever yeah. else is left over after you're taking care of yourself is going to determine what you can handle. And you don't want to okay. bite off more than you can chew. Because if you run out of cash, man, you're going to sink. You're a sinking ship. Oh, yeah. So The way I think
1: about profit is it's like blood, right? The point of life is not about your blood inside. But if I cut your neck and you blood out, you would die, Right. So you need blood to live and you need profit to maintain your business. Awesome. So I agree with you. We, Our bottom line is customer service and how we care for people. But profit is a very important part of our business to make sure that we can keep continuing to care for people and take care of people.
0: Awesome. Thank you for going there. And I can't believe we're already almost at an hour and 10 minutes of recording time. Uh, it's been awesome. Um, I'm tempted to pass this question, but I'm really curious just because, uh, of how long you've been listening to the show, uh, you're probably one of my first subscribers. Uh, I want to ask you, what are and if you can answer as quickly as possible, uh, what are like the the one or two or maybe three biggest lessons uh, that impacted you um, from listening to Restaurant Unstoppable that you you're applying in. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I have not, I would not be as successful as I am today without restaurant stoppable.
0: This isn't so meant to be a selfish you, plug by or, the way. No. I'm just curious.
1: <laughs> um, honestly, I think, you know, the idea of never stop learning, um, always uh, go above and beyond to like care for people. Um, and um, the fact that uh, I think caring for your team and really, like, creating a great culture is, like, three of the big lessons that I've learned from Restaurant Unstoppable. Beautiful. But there's, there's literally so many. I mean, I feel like all the books, resources that I've gained and gathered has been from Restaurant Unstoppable. So, if anything, this is probably, like, a review <laughs> of <Do you laughs> reiterated information.
0: Um. All right. Great stuff, Joe. Uh, we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question. Honestly, does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures, they're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share, press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website find out why bento box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world including past and future guests like suvla pizza emily 11 madison park the meatball shop and more head to get bento.com and make sure you mention restaurants unstoppable to get up to fifteen hundred dollars off your initial setup payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things, taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC, Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits and great service to help support the show. Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable G U S T O.com slash unstoppable. We're back. In the first question I have for you, Joe, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Ooh, woo. well, I would <laughs> say persistence. It's got to be persistent. I'm definitely not the smartest guy in the room. I'm definitely not the quickest or smartest. I mean, uh, strongest, but uh, I just don't ever give up. I never give up. Unstoppable.
0: Persistence. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest weakness?
1: Ah, oh, man, my biggest weakness is probably that it takes me way too long to do like any task. I just even like simple as like posting something on social media, like an Instagram post takes me like 25 minutes. And it's like, it just takes me way too long.
0: What's one question or thing you look for during the interview process?
1: Um, a new one that I've added in is what do you eat? What do you like to eat? What's your favorite thing to eat? You what are know? you looking for? Um, I'm looking for somebody who doesn't say they're a vegan. <laughs> <of> your being, <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna make it, make it here. Try the coup Um, no, I just, I want to see passion. You know, if somebody like tells me like, oh my gosh, there's like this lasagna dish my mom makes. And it's like, you know, and then they can like go into detail about describing it. Um, then like I know love something we can work with.
0: What's your biggest challenge today?
1: My biggest challenge is creating the culture that I envision for our brand. Um, and, um uh, like, I want it to be a certain way, but once you get all these personalities in the kitchen, um, it's really hard to, like, I think have the culture be exactly what I want it to be. So I, I think I have to let go of some things and, um, accept that it's not going to be exactly what I want it to be. But, um, I definitely want, I want to, make a big impression on what I think our culture should be like.
0: Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team.
1: I teach my team that they, it's it's a two-part, that when somebody comes in they have to smile and welcome them with like warm open arms and be caring as somebody comes in the door and then also equally as important that they have to make sure that they say goodbye to everyone who leaves.
0: Mm-hmm. Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team.
1: Uncommon standard of service?
0: Like uncommon <laughs> So yeah, it sounds a little funny. So it's uncommon standard of service you teach. So it's standard for you, but it's uncommon in the industry.
1: Um oh man. It's I I guess I think this is semi-common, but it's not common enough, and I just said it, but it's making sure that we go out of our way to make sure that we say goodbye to people when they leave. So I feel like if you were at a family party and you walked out the door and no one said goodbye to you, it would be like super awkward, right? But people leave restaurants all the time and no one says goodbye to them. It almost like washes the entire experience that they just had because it's almost like we didn't even care that you were here. So I literally run out to cars, I'm not kidding you, cars in the parking lot. And I'm waving, flailing my arms like an idiot. And people are like, what's going on? They roll out the window. And I'm just like, hey, I just wanted to say thanks for coming. Sorry I let not catch you. off, you know. Have a great day. And they're like, whoa, okay, wow.
0: Yeah, that stands out. You can't do what's expected. You got to do what's unexpected to really stand out. One of
1: my favorite uh, Yelp reviews said, "Like the customer service is so good at this place. They're like, it's actually borderline creepy. I was like, all right, I'll Um, take that.
0: Here we go. (laughs) Um, Share one online resource or tool. This can be like a magazine online or someplace you go to get knowledge or an app, but it has to be like electronic online.
1: Ooh, I got a good one. It's a podcast called Story Brand, and uh, Something it's Miller. really, really James good. Miller? Story Brand. Their whole thing is, um, if you confuse, you lose. And it's all—it's a marketing podcast. It's a company, and they actually have a book called Story Brand. Yes,
0: I'm listening to that book right now, dude. That, should be, the, that should be the first book we uh, start the new mastermind off with.
1: Yes, you're, you're right. It's seriously it so awesome. good. And that—that that phrase that they always say, "If you confuse, you lose," like it's just planted itself of my head because people were confused by our menu when we when we used to walk in here and I would see them like jumping on a treadmill and they're on the treadmill like running and we we're forcing them to do that just to like choose their dinner and I thought man you know what we're confusing people we need to simplify this and I'm still working on making it so easy for people to come in order their food safely comfortably with ease
0: so so that so that book Oh, sorry. That resource was in a podcast uh, story. brand. they also have a book. Uh, What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner?
1: Well, I wrote down a list for you, Eric, (laughs) Um, and I've got a lot. And uh, these are all books that have been named on the show. So um, I'm going to start with Restaurant Man, which is uh, by Joe Bastianich. It's kind of a biography, but it's also like a school of hard knocks, like restaurant book. Um, he teaches stuff in there that's like incredible. That
0: book is kind of like the restaurant unstoppable to books, where you it tells a story, and in the story you pull the pull out the nuggets.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible. And I found out like a lot of like you know a lot of people bring up like Danny Meyer's book, but like I feel like Restaurant Unstoppable. I mean, uh, excuse me, Restaurant Man is right up there, yeah. literally with uh, with that. Uh, Delivering Happiness uh, is a great book by the guy who started Zappos. That book's like incredible. Um, Small Giants. The book I want to recommend, uh, Profit First, which we already rec- mentioned, Start With Why, which we've already mentioned, <laughs> um, Good to Great is uh, by Jim Collins that uh, gets recommended a lot on the show. And then uh, the last one is Zingerman's Guide to yes. Great Customer Service.
0: Awesome stuff. And this is episode four twenty. Head over to restaurant dot com slash four twenty five. I'll have links to those books, plus with some of the other books you mentioned, too, will be uh, right there in the show notes. And if you guys head over to restaurant dot com slash books, I have a list of every book that's ever been recommended on the show. I don't think I pitched that enough, but it's all over there. It's a library of what you need to read to be successful in this industry. Um, the next question is, what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurants and how has it influenced your operation? This is tangible. This is like in house, like a terminal or something that's in the restaurant.
1: And we've been, we've, we've started out pretty lean. So I've avoided like too many like POS
0: or something like that and why you chose it.
1: Well, I can say we just started doing Uber Eats. Okay. um, Which is something that's, you know, they send you a device and it's like a total electronic thing. Um, But Uber Eats has been great. We're already doing, I think like $400 a day in Uber Eats orders. So um, pretty good business. They take a hefty um, chunk of it i think it's like 32 percent or something that they take yeah of, but what are you
0: going to be paying your drivers uh and the insurance you have to have sure. your drivers does it bounce out i wonder maybe it's only like after that maybe it's only like 10 percent.
1: I, I mean i definitely agree with you there so there is a part of that but then my favorite part about it is that people that have never heard of us before um find us on uber eats and then they come and then they become like lifelong fans because they got it Delivery, and then you know we've already had people come back like, oh my god, I ordered on Uber so, Eats. I never heard of you guys. I live down the street, and I loved it. And now I'm here, and I brought my dad. You know, yeah, and, and like,
0: it's, so it's kind of like a marketing tool too to be on another platform to get your for brand sure. out there. Cool, good to know. So you had to you got to factor that in. Um, anything else, or are you ready to move on to the next?
1: No, I mean we use Toast for our POS, and Toast is amazing. It's like literally a third grader could use the system. It's so so simple. Yeah, um, and Toast is. A new company, it feels like it. So they're like in the beginning stages, but I feel like they're getting better and better and better and better. And, you know, what they're going to be like in five years is probably going to be nothing compared yeah. to what they are.
0: They are a great company. I have a good relationship with them and uh, they do have a referral program. So if you are interested in Toast, do me a favor. Let me know so I can make the introduction and uh, it'll really help out the show. Uh, thank you in advance. And this is the last one. It's a doozy, it's a goodie. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure, except with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind. What would that or would those three pieces of wisdom be for the good community?
1: Well, that's deep. getting <laughs> deep. Um, I would say the first one would be God and family and friends first. Um, keep that at the for at the front i would say second um surround yourself with great people always you know there's so much negativity out there and so many people that just want to bring you down um i feel like and i hear you say it all the time you're an example of the five people you surround yourself with i think it's so important that you just surround yourself with great people and um and also a part of that is you don't get get the people that are negative um, that bring you down out of your life you know and uh so that'd be number two. And then number three is, uh, you know, follow your dreams. I'd say just go for it. You know, um, there's no reason why you should be doing something that makes you unhappy. So do something you're passionate about, do something you love, follow your dream. Life is too short not to just do it.
0: Awesome, dude. I love it. It's been such an honor to get you on the show. Uh, somebody who, um, you know, I've just really grown to know and appreciate dude Uh, you're a great guy and you're just like i said starting this interview you're just a great example of all the stuff that people have to deal with just to get started in this industry and if you start and you show up and you get a little bit better every day and you keep that momentum you build on that momentum opportunities will come to you you're just such an incredible example of that and it's been an honor making an example of you here today dude
1: I'm, an, I'm honored. I'm honored to be
0: on. <laughs> so we got, to, um, we got to call somebody out before I let you go. So who's one person you admire in this industry? You've already called out so many people. I feel guilty getting more out of you. but Who should I get on the show?
1: Oh, I'm gonna put you to work here. I wrote another list. <laughs> um, I think you need Ari Weinswag back on the show.
0: Oh, I would love to get him back on the show.
1: It has been way too long. Um, literally, that guy has so much great knowledge.
0: You, you know, um, it's funny you mention that because i I feel like the show has evolved a lot since some of my early like rock star guests. Yeah, and I think that I could do a lot better getting stuff out of them. Um,
1: and he's great. He answered You can email him. He'll answer you in like five minutes. Yeah, or amazing. Probably, he probably for like every email. Keep going. Um, okay. Jimmy Banos Jr. He owns uh, a restaurant called the Purple Pig. I think it's one of the most celebrated restaurants in Chicago. I think they're coming up on 10 years. And, um, they are, he grew up in his dad's restaurant, which is a staple of Chicago called Heaven on Seven. And Jimmy is in the process of opening up another restaurant, um, soon too. But, uh, he's an incredible guy, literally. There's a, a short video on Heritage um like a ten minute thing about his story. It's like the guy is amazing. Um super good chef, And I think he's a James Beard Award winner, pretty sure. Awesome. But Jimmy Banos Jr. Um I think that'd be great. And then um we just signed up for a PR firm. Um Rebecca Koosman um and her firm is Betty Bomb PR.
0: And uh I don't have you had a lot of PR? No, no I should though. There's a lot of value there.
1: Yeah, there really is a lot of value, seriously, because we had one article written about us and I reached out to a guy um, from the newspaper and I literally, I asked everyone how they heard about us. And I would say easily a thousand people came into our restaurant from just one article that was written about us. Awesome. So um, yeah, I think we just signed up with her. Rebecca is amazing. And uh, she is, um, I think she'd bring a little a lot of value. And then the last one is a guy named, um, and I don't know him, uh, his name's... Joe Strags. I don't even know if I'm saying his last name correctly, but um, he owns a restaurant called The Roost in Chicago. They're also a chicken joint, and uh, I've heard a lot of great things about him, and I looked into his story, and it's an incredible one, um, so I think he'd bring a lot of value to your guests as well.
0: Joe, thank you for all those call-outs, dude. You're so generous. <laughs> and, um, let the folks that know, at home know, how can we uh, connect with you if we want to follow what you're up to or connect with you to discuss or whatever?
1: Absolutely frythecoop at gmail.com and you can follow us at at frythecoop on instagram is uh our main jam um, but it's also facebook twitter same handle at frythecoop
0: episode 425 head over to restaurant slash 425 for links to those uh, resources to a summary of today's discussion. Uh, I got my work cut out for me summarizing this one, uh, but it's all good, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, Such an honor to make an example of you. There there is absolutely no questioning Joe Fontana. You are unstoppable. woo! -woo! (laughs) Cheers. Oh yes. This is one I've been waiting for, uh, for a while now. I knew Joe Fontana would be a guest on the show before long. And, uh, you know, so much of what we see and we hear about in the media, uh, uh, regarding the, the success of people, we only see the tip of the iceberg. Um, we only start following people after they've made it. And you never hear about, what people had to go through the struggles, the, the dedication, uh, sticking to your vision uh, and just making things happen in your life. And I mean, Joe's just getting started. He just opened his restaurant, like we said, two months ago, but this, the path he's taken, uh, the dedication he's had to just making it happen uh, is just something to be made an example of. And it was an honor to make an example of you today, my friend. Uh, And the big lesson from Today's show is just start where you can. Um, and anyhow, is worth living with as long as the why is strong enough. If you're not happy with what you're doing, if you have a dream, if you have a passion for something, lean into it. Uh, you might not be rich, but you'll be rich in other ways. You might not be monetarily rich in the beginning, but you'll be so happy going to work, doing what you love. Uh, and just living intentionally uh, to serve yourself in Joe. You're just a shining example of that in um, man. It was such, like I said, an honor making an example of you, my friend. Um, can't believe I'm going on the road in just one day. This episode airs Friday, the day before I take off to take pot the restaurant unstoppable podcast on the road. i um, equal parts excited equal parts shitting my pants but like they say uh, <laughs> if you're going to make anything happen um, you've got to live around the edge you got to be going so hard that you barely have control And uh, I'm hustling I'm making it happen it's not easy but uh, if we're gonna you know bring this resource to the next level and put it in front of more people I feel like just bringing it on the road uh, meeting these people face-to-face connecting with them deeper uh, sharing the story uh, and just you know living it, you know, 100% will be what takes this thing to the next level. So I could use your support guys. Uh, If you're finding value in this podcast, if you're learning, if you're growing, please share it with somebody else. That's the whole point of this podcast is to share knowledge. You can contribute simply by sharing these episodes. Uh, So right now, go ahead, share this episode, please. Uh, If you're going to be in any of the cities I'm going to, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to get a coffee, have a beer, whatever. Uh, First stop is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Second stop is Columbus, Ohio. I'm not going to announce the other stops quite yet because they're not set in stone, but I hope to be on the road for at least the next couple of months. Uh, What I'm going to be doing after that. I'm not sure yet. Uh, If you know anybody in Pittsburgh that needs to be made an example of, if you know anybody in Columbus, Ohio that needs to be made an example of, put them on my radar uh, shoot me an email eric at restaurant social media eric catch Tory on instagram and twitter and slash restaurants unstoppable on facebook i do accept donations head over to restaurant slash support every little bit helps but again the best way to support the show is simply by sharing it and making it known that this resource exists i think that's all for today, thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all, and I wouldn't be able to do it without you. Until next time, peace out.